Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, morning, hello. This is a long time of worship. Some of you are still in the zone, eh? Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a really a privilege this morning to be able to just share a last message as part of this congregation. I just said to Kala, hopefully not the last time ever, ever. I don't know if it was that bad that you want to chase me away forever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a massive privilege. We won't get sentimental now. We'll do that next week, maybe, when you guys pray for us as we leave. Um, but this week, just the last message is something that's probably, probably on my heart always. <laughs> and when I'm asked to preach, if I pray about it, it's, it's probably the thing that pops up so many times for me. It's, I, I don't know, maybe one day when I'm old and gray or without a like color, then that will be my life's message. Like one of those things that I've just, I've just taken hold of for God. Um, and that's actually being used by God, that each of us can be used by God, that God has a plan to use each one of us in a specific way. And I, I just firstly, before I like, get into the nitty-gritty of the message, I want to ask if I know there's some people here that came because we invited them at Friday, Society's Fair. I don't know, if you can just raise your hand if you're one of those. Okay, there's a few people actually are. Warm welcome to you. So Society's Fair was very interesting. For those of you who don't know what it is, every year at the beginning of the year, we get a chance. Hey, welcome back, Colin. Back, uh, back to see you. He was in America for a while. But at, uh, um, at Society's Fair, we get a chance to invite all the first years that are new to Stellenbosch. We get a chance to walk around, hand out pamphlets, and tell them about our church. And it's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's a great opportunity. You get to meet so many new people. Um, I, for one, had a good time. I had a long conversation with a guy that's agnostic and that's not sure whether he believes in God. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to actually meet new people, invite them to church, tell them about Josh Jen, and tell them about Jesus as well. And I found it very interesting, you know, because it's a little bit awkward, because you're not the only church there. That makes it awkward. So when people come around to your little stall, and we, we have the Josh Chen stall there, they come with like a handful of church papers. And then you say, can I invite you to our church too with all of your other church invites? And so obviously what you need to do is you need to tell them a bit about Josh Chen and what differentiates us or what makes us a little bit different. And it was just very interesting for me um, standing and I heard some of our students who were handing out these forms or these uh, leaflets to tell them about Josh Chen. It was very interesting hearing what some of you had to say about Josh Chen. We'll have to speak afterwards, honestly. But it was interesting. I mean, what do, you, what do you say to someone? They ask you, what type of church is it? What would you say if you had to answer it? Like, what type of church is it? So we had the small church. We intimate family church. We had that. We had the Bible-believing, Bible-based church. Hallelujah, that is who we are as well. Um, we are the family church. You're going to walk in. Someone is going to greet you. Someone is going to invite you for supper. I'm hoping that happens. Uh, or at least a coffee for the new people. It is something that we value. And these are all important things that we stand for. But if you had to ask me, like, what is my dream? What is the thing that if, if I could ask all of you or instill something in every person as we move out of this congregation, that it would be the heart or the heartbeat of this congregation, that if someone asks you, what is it about Josh Chen that I've heard about you guys, there's something different, what is it? I'm hoping that one of the main things that you would say is that it's a church full of people who all give of themselves. Every single person that's here gives of themselves. That you would say 
It's not a church where the person stands in front and they preach and the rest are just spectators sitting in their white seats enjoying it, being, becoming fat Christians who just eat of the good meat that's being given to them on a Sunday morning. Hopefully it's good meat, average meat sometimes, but mostly hopefully good. But I don't want, I don't want that to be said of us. What I'd love to be said of this church is this is a church where every person is, being, is, is used by God because that is the heart of God. The heart of God is not for spectators. It's not for pew warmers. It's not for that. It's for every person to walk in the destiny that God has for them, to love Him fully and to be used by Him fully. And I know that this is a difficult thing because if you're anything like me, you think, I am messed up. How can God use me? It's a difficult thing. Sometimes you get to that point where you feel like, yeah, God, I know you want to use me, but I'm sort of standing in your way some of the times. I mess up. I don't spend time with you. I neglect my intimacy. I don't reach out. I don't tell people. And we feel like we get stuck in this place of, of feeling insignificant and not able to be used by God. But I want to uh, let you feel a bit better this morning by telling you about some of the characters in the Bible and some of the things that they went through and how they were still used of God. So I've got a bit of a list here. Listen to this. Noah, the man with the ark, those of you who don't know. Noah got drunk and passed out naked in his tent, but God still used him. Jacob, those of you who know who he was, Jacob was known as a liar by the people around him, but God changed him and God used him. Joseph came out of an abusive family. He probably had some, maybe not dad issues, but brother issues at least. But still God healed him and God used him. Moses had a stuttering problem. He couldn't speak in front of people. He struggled. But God used him. Samson had a problem with the ladies. But God, gracious God that he is, God still used Samson. Rahab was a prostitute, but still God used her. Jeremiah, when God used him, he was actually a very young man. So there's a lot of young people sitting here. But still God used him despite of his age. David, a man known as someone after God's heart, he if you go read the story, it's really interesting. David had sex with a married woman, and then he went and killed that woman's husband because of what happened. But still God brought healing, and God used David. Elijah, the great prophet, he struggled with depression, but God used him. Jonah, he tried to run away from the calling that God had on his life, but God still used Jonah. Simon Peter, he's, a bit, he's like my hero in the Bible. I love the guy. But Simon Peter denied Jesus Christ. He said, I do not know who you're speaking about. I don't know this Jesus that you're speaking about when he was asked. But God did something in his life, and God still used him. Martha, not our Martha, Martha from the Bible. <laughs> not Martha with the Bible, Martha from the Bible. Martha was a workaholic, but praise God, God used her. Not... <laughs> <laughs> too true, too soon, eh? <laughs> um, oh, anyway, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well spoken about in John's gospel, she was divorced more than one time, actually, she was divorced, but God used her to turn a city around. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Any demon-possessed people? Sorry, no, not yet. <laughs> no. But God used this demon-possessed woman. He changed her. He used her. Timothy, the young Timothy, had health issues for his stomach. Um, 
and God still used him in spite of his health issues. Paul, the great apostle who wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament, he killed and imprisoned Christians. Anyone done anything worse than that in your life? Killed a bunch of Christians, but still God used him. And it's so beautiful for me, the same Paul that knew he was a failure. He knew he did stupid things. He knew that he messed up. And a lot of these people knew that they messed up even after they came to know Christ or came to know God. But Paul had this to say in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26 to 13. And there it comes. I'll start reading it to you. There we go. Brothers and sisters, mine's probably the new, the new uh, international, the new, new international version. It added sisters. Brothers includes the sisters, just so you know. Just like the wife of Christ includes men as well. So we meet each other halfway. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. I want to just give you some very, very good news this morning. All of us, we suck. <laughs> it's good news. Just maybe say it this morning. Say, I suck. <laughs> you have to say it to believe it. Just say it. One, two, three. I suck. It truly is like that. We make mistakes, and I'm telling you, even if you walk out here this morning and you think, this morning I was inspired by the message. I'm not going to suck anymore. Guess what? You're going to walk out here. You are going to suck. <laughs> You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. You're going to fall short of the glory of God. But guess what? God knows that. And he does not want you to boast in your righteousness, to think that you are someone that's able to do something for him. You are someone that's able to make a difference for him. No, he says, my son Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died because you suck. He, dies because, he died because you are not able to do it. And when you find life in him, he does a restoration work in your life, and he makes you someone that is used by him, someone that bears fruit for our king. What is my prayer for us as I leave, and some of us leave this congregation? My prayer is that it would be known as a congregation where every person bears fruit. Not because they're good people, but because God is good. And because God has turned their mess of a life into his message, he's turned the mistakes and the failures that they've committed, the things that they've done, the shortcomings that they've, that they've come short on, that God would use those things and that every person in this church would be known as someone that bears fruit for God. Let us not have one person that sits by idly and is just a spectator here. That is my heart. And that's what I'd love to have as a last message to to be shared with us. So when we speak of these things, actually the biblical word that we speak about is bearing fruit. What is your desire? What do you want? You, you come to know God, you get saved, and there might be some of you who haven't given your life to Jesus yet. You feel too much of a failure. But the moment that you give your life to God, the moment he redeems you, what God wants in your life is he wants you to be a person that bears fruit. Every single person. There's not one person that he's not calling to bear fruit. 
And so what I want to do is this morning just lift out three things of a, a portion in the Bible that speaks about bearing fruit, that teaches us how to be Christians who actually bear fruit. And it's a, it's a, a, a scripture that we've probably, Kyle has probably preached on a few times, and it's John 15. It's an amazing chapter in the Bible. It speaks about abiding in the vine, and when we abide in the vine, we bear fruit. So I'm going to read through it. I'm going to lift out three things for us. And if you want to make notes, you can make notes of these three things. But take it home, live it out, and we will be known as a church that bears fruit. The first, the first scripture I want to read to you is John 15, verse 4 to 5. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can just keep it there. So the Bible says we can do nothing without being found in the vine, living in Christ, being intimate with him. Who of you think that you can actually do something without Christ? Be honest. Okay, there's four honest people here. <laughs> I can. I can get in my car and drive from here to there, and I don't have to include Christ in that. I can do it without Christ. What this portion of Scripture is saying is we can do nothing of eternal significance, nothing that really matters in this life, nothing except if we remain in Christ. So what is the first thing? If you want to be someone that bears fruit for Jesus Christ, what is the solution? Be intimate with Him. Abide in Him as He abides in you. See, I think we live in such a world of quick fixes. And the first answer that you get if you go ask many Christians, what should I do to be fruitful for God? And they'll tell, tell you, reach out to Christians, sell them the gospel, read your Bible a lot, all of those things. And those are not bad answers. But the foundation of it is, you want to be fruitful for God? It comes out of an overflow of your intimacy with God. If you are intimate with God, you cannot not bear fruit. It's impossible. Have you ever felt like that? Who's, who's ever been in love in their life before? I'm still very much in love, eh? <laughs> We've been married for just over a year and a half. Definitely still in love. But I was, I'm in love now. I was very, very, very in love about two and a half years ago. And I would do everything in my power just to get to, to Carla. I had, I've told this story maybe before, but I would have no money in the bank, literally. And I would just use my last petrol to... Drive over, um, to drive over to in Swellendam. I lived in Bloberg Strand. She lived in Swellendam. And I would drive all the way to Swellendam with my last bit of petrol, use the last little bit of money that I had. We'd go to a restaurant. We'd go eat something. And driving back, I'd have to free down the pass. I'd have to, I couldn't go through the toll gate. I had no money. And I had to free down the alternative road, the, the Huguenot Pass, all the way, and just pray to God that I make it back to Sunningdale in one piece. I don't, my car doesn't go stand still there. But you know the thing about being in love? You can't stop speaking about it. It's irritating, eh, when people are in love. Huh? Have you noticed that? They're like, cool, I've heard enough about your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It's, it's cool, I know everything I need to know. You can stop speaking about them. But what is it? When we're in love, when there's a sense of intimacy, not too much intimacy in the beginning, but when there's a sense of intimacy, we want to speak about it. What goes on in our hearts flows over into our mouths. It flows over into our actions. So what do you want to do if you want to be fruitful for God? 
Be in love with God. Find him. Find that secret place. Get to him again. Find that place where you find nourishment, find sustenance, find the water of life, find Jesus Christ, and you will find fruitfulness. I've, just, I've been a very avid garden lately. Um, I bought a crinidella or a passion fruit little tree, and I've become a little bit obsessed with this thing. And so every day, Carla laughs at me because when people come and visit, those of you who've come to visit, the first thing I normally do is I take them outside to come and look at my granadella tree. I'm so proud. I'm like, cool, it's nice having you come, come see something. And I show them how it's flowering and how it's got a little bit of fruit in. And the other day, I was just trimming, which is something we'll get to a bit. I was trimming the granadella tree so that it can, or plant, so that it can bear more fruit. You want to cut off some pieces so that more life flows to other parts. So... I was busy trimming it, and I had a few extra branches, and I thought, you know what, if I, if I just put these branches in water, probably they'll keep living, and they'll make little um, wortels, uh, roots, eventually, and I'll be able to plant more granadella trees. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'd be able to go look at four or five little granadella bushes, whatever you call it. I can do that. And so I just put them outside. It was a hot day, and I went inside. I was still busy with a few things in the house. And when I went back, it was literally maybe the space of like 20 to 30 minutes. Those, it started withering. It started, the leaves started hanging. And you know the incredible thing? It's just how God has made nature. And it, it makes so much sense why God would speak about this, being, uh, abiding in him. I went and I put those little, little branches, I put them in water. And within an hour, the heads were lifted again. Life started flowing back into it, and it's about two weeks later, and I think little roots are starting to come out now. Take it out of the water, it dies. Put it in the water, it lives. That is our Christian walk. Stay in him. Stay in his water. Keep drinking of Jesus Christ. If you've messed up, say sorry, move back. It's as simple as that. Find that place of intimacy with him. Find a place of intimacy with Jesus. And to be a bit practical, I've just lately, I've realized last year, you know what the, um, like intimacy with Jesus is obviously something that you need to keep fighting for. And when we got married, normally in the mornings I'd spend time with God when, when I was still sing, single or unmarried. But now you know what the nicest thing is in the morning? Firstly, we've got a little, we've got a little ritual. So I wake up, I go make coffee. And the nicest thing for me is getting back into bed and sitting next to Carla and drinking coffee with her. Just in bed, it's, it's so nice. But you know what, small things like that, actually at a later stage I realized, oh, that's actually the time I want to spend with God. It's, my mind is still fresh, I want to be with God. And so I had to see, okay, that's a good thing, it's a nice thing, but I'm, intimacy with God is the most important thing for me. And so if you're struggling, identify what it is. If it's your phone, put your phone away. If it's your spouse or your friend or your WhatsApp or your books or your TV or your snooze button, <laughs> or, eh, you know, or the, the, what did they call it? The gospel of the duvet. Or if it's the duvet sucking you in in the mornings, just make sure you get to God. And I'm telling you, you will be a fruitful person. Second thing, John 15, verse 6. So the first one is abide in them and you will bear fruit. Second one, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers, the story that I told you earlier. It shrivels, it shrivels up. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I don't like scriptures like that. <laughs> it's a bit scary, right? It's like, yeah, God, if I don't remain in you, I'm going to wither, 
and you're going to throw me into the fire and I'll, I'm going to burn. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I think that speaks of hell. I don't know if you've got another, trans- or another way to translate this or give me what it means. I think it speaks about hell. I think God is warning us that if we don't stay intimate with him for long enough and we start withering, our life starts draining from us, we could come to a place where we not lo- no longer will spend eternity with him, but we'll spend it without him. And the fear of God, actually, although we do not like it, it's a very healthy thing. The book of Proverbs say the, says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I'll, I'll illustrate this out of my own life to, to tell you why I'm saying this. I used to rock climb a bit. I know there's a few rock climbers in the church. And for some reason, I love it. Honestly, it's exhilarating. It's like an adrenaline rush. But I, like, I'm, I'm afraid of heights still. Although I love it, I'm afraid of heights. And so when I was climbing a lot, actually now and then, I'd have this dream. Like maybe once or twice a week when I was still actively climbing, I'd have this dream. I would be on a rock face very high up with about four or five meters still to go. And suddenly when I look, I'm not on the rope anymore. Like I'm off the rope. And all I need to do in my dream is I need to climb this last four or five meters and I'll be safe. But I wake up sweating and palms, like my palms are sweating. I'm like, I'm in agony. I'm anxious. Anyone ever felt like that? Have you ever you watched these climbing movies before? Have you noticed? You sit there, you watch the movie, and your palms start sweating, and you start becoming jittery, and you're like, just want to walk away from this. This is not nice. You know what that is? It's healthy fear, because a mountain will kill you if you don't have healthy fear. It will. It's healthy fear. That's not a bad fear. Because I know of so many people, actually, that climb that are good climbers, but if you lose the fear, you lose your life. You put yourself in a dangerous position when you lose fear. And same with with God. We love God, yes. He loves us, yes. But he's bigger than us. And he warns us. And so that fear keeps you in a place of abiding in the vine, knowing, God, I don't want to move away from you because I will die if I move away from you. And I want to just make clear this morning. I'm just going to look at that. Just read it with me again. It says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And then it goes on. What is the crux of that scripture? What is the key there? The key is not be careful that you wither. The key is stay in the vine. So I've seen in my life so much, I become sin conscious quickly. I think, oh God, I I need to fix my relationship with you. I've got a fear of you. I need to fix it. I need to sort out sin in my life. And you know what? That's not a bad thing, but it's not the best thing. The best thing is looking at God and everything else grows strangely dim. It's not looking at your sin and thinking I need to do away with the sin. It's saying, God, if I see you, these things will not matter so much anymore. It's a beautiful thing. In the light of his face, all these things grow strangely dim. So I want to urge you, if you realize, if you look at your life and you feel like, oh, I'm withering a bit, Something of the life of God is not there anymore. I feel like I'm dying slowly, but surely the answer is not to think, okay, what sin am I doing? The answer is to look to Jesus, to be intimate with him. The withering just shows you that you're not in the water. That's all it does. The withering shows you that you're not in the water. And so I want to urge you, get in the water. Get in there. Enjoy God. Be with him. Do not be sin conscious. Just before I move on, I've I've realized that what I sometimes do is when I pray, I become sin conscious. That's the first thing that I do. 
So if you sometimes you find yourself praying like this, oh God, thank you for this day. And God, I'm so sorry for what I did yesterday. Anyone? Is it just me? Right. That's not right. <laughs> it's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus teaches us to pray. Where does he start? Our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then where does he move? Give us this day our daily bread, eh? If I'm right now, I might be, might be getting confused. And then he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's not wrong to ask for forgiveness, but I don't think it should be the starting place. If it's the starting place, then you're a sin-conscious Christian and not a God-conscious Christian. If that's the first thing that you pray, make sure you first see God and then apologize for the other things. First get into his presence, then let go of the withering. Am I making sense? Okay. God calls us to be God-conscious, not sin-conscious. Final scripture, John 15, verse 1 to 2. I'm jumping to the beginning. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Again, if you ask me, I'm the pro-gardener now. I've been doing it for about two months. <laughs> it actually works like that. You prune some of the branches and more life flows into other parts. So I want to say, if you want to bear fruit for God, your life as a Christian is not going to be easier. It's going to be difficult. I heard this stupid lie when I got a Christian. Someone told me, it's, tomorrow when you wake up, the grass is going to be greener, the birds are going to chirp a little bit louder, and the, the sky is going to be bluer. And I woke up, and it wasn't like that, and I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise us that everything will go well. In fact, Jesus Christ makes a promise to you. Just maybe, just maybe grab this promise for yourself that he says. Just go like this. Say, I, I receive Jesus' promises. Okay, you don't have to do it. It's awkward. Here's a promise from Jesus. In this world, you will have suffering prophesied over you. <laughs> That's a pleasure because I too will have suffering and have had suffering. It will stay with you. You see, life with Jesus is not always easy. But man, oh man, it's worth it. The wide road, it's easy. The narrow road, Sometimes it's difficult, but it's the road of life. Once you've tasted, you don't want to get off that road of life. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful road. So I want to ask you, if you want to be someone active and doing something for God, just know that difficult times will come. But if you find yourself, oh man, if you find yourself in the difficult times, digging into God, saying, God, where are you in this difficulty? What are you doing in this difficulty? I'm seeking you even though I do not understand. If you do that, if you cling on with your life, you will be a more fruitful Christian. If you cling on in the difficult times. I, yeah. I had a friend recently who, um, on, on my Facebook that I saw. Him and his wife have been trying to get a baby. I know him. He's a worship leader in the church that I come from. Um, I know him as someone that really loves God. And the other day, he put a, a, a status on Facebook saying he's done with God, doesn't want to serve God anymore. He doesn't want to go to church anymore. He doesn't know if God exists. And if God exists, there's so many questions that he has for God because God is not answering their prayer to have a child. They've tried, and he is the one at fault, and he is just miffed with God. I'm telling you, if we do not have a good theology for suffering and a good theology for difficult times, 
and we can see the hand of God even in our difficult times and see God even when nothing else makes sense, then you are not going to be a fruitful and effective Christian. Being pruned sucks, but it's, it, when you pr- get pruned, your roots grow deeper if you hold on to him. Your roots get established. So let's stand as I, as I end. Uh, maybe God for you, you guys, one or two of you can just maybe come forward. I want to just end this morning by actually making two calls. And the one will be specifically aimed at my message, and I'll get to that second. But it's like I really do want to speak to you. If you've fallen out of love with Jesus, or you just feel like you look at your life and other things have become more important, maybe not blatant sin, maybe just friends have become more important than God, or money, or your studies has become more important than God, and you just want to put God at the center again. You want to say, God, I want to abide in the vine again. Please, please, Lord, I want to find your life. I want to find your water of life. Then I'm going to ask you in a moment just to maybe just step out of your seats as we're going to end in a song of worship, and just, just you speak to God. You on your own. You say, God, I'm coming back to the heart of worship I'm coming back to a place of intimacy. I'm coming back to a place of abiding in the vine. We're going to do that together for those who want to respond. I think it's for all of us. But if you specifically feel like, God, this is touching my heart this morning, then let that be you. And then secondly, can we maybe just close our eyes, everyone that's here? I'm not going to ask you to, um, to come forward necessarily, but... I want to make a call if there's anyone here this morning that has not given their lives to Jesus Christ. If there's anyone that does not believe that if Jesus comes now, that they would be able to stand before him and know that they're going to heaven. Know that they'll be with him for eternity. And actually the Bible makes it quite clear. It says that John actually said when he wrote, he said, I write these things that you may know. We may know. You can actually know that you are saved. You can know that you are intimate with God. You can know that you are going to heaven. It's not something you need to wonder about for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is here this morning and he's offering forgiveness for your sins. He's saying, if you come to me, I'll forgive you. I'll wipe you clean as snow. I'll make you a new person. I'll give you forgiveness and freedom and liberty. You'll taste life that you've never tasted before. But you need to come to me. You need to make right with me need to turn away from your old life and say, God, I'm turning to a new life in you. So can we just keep our eyes closed? If there's anyone like that, if I can just ask, just raise your hand. It's just me that wants to see it. No one else is looking. I just want to see who I'm praying for this morning. If there's anyone like that, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay, I'm going to pray for this lady. If you want to pray this prayer with me, it's, it's great. Now, God, I thank you this morning for salvation and for forgiveness that is found in you. Lord, I praise you for the fact that you save us, you redeem us. I thank you for the fact that we not, do not have to be perfect because you are perfect. But I thank you that you choose us in our sinful, in our bad state. You make us into new people. And I pray for this girl this morning, this lady. Lord, I pray for her heart, Lord 
I ask you that you would forgive her, Lord. I pray that you would make her into a new person. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill her even now as we're praying. In your name, God, we pray that you would make her new. A new creation in you is what we long for. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, we're going to end in a last song of worship. I want you to be bold. If this you, if the message this morning is for you, can I ask you to just come forward or step out of your seats in response to God and say, God, I'm coming back to you. I want your river of life again.